Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, and we're looking at the last day of November. My goodness sakes, how fast the time does fly. And I hope you all had a really good Thanksgiving break. I sure did. Ate too much. Watched some great football. Lots of lousy weather. We were talking about that with everyone here just a little bit before uh, the podcast uh, began. And it was just, let's think about all the football, the weather was played. Uh, it was it was just miserable, especially the uh of course, my daughter goes to Baylor, so we're watching the Baylor game. Watch that thing. It just, it was just miserable. But anyway, good, good to have you with us. Nice, good weather here. Uh, looking forward to covering uh, some important topics again. Something we touched on last week. We had Andy Shell as our special guest, and he is a regular guest and our special guest again today. And we're going to be talking about a topic that he introduced last week. But there was a desire from many of you to hear more, so we've asked Andy to come back and talk about the topic governance something that I think you're going to find very interesting and absolutely essential. And guess what? This one is going by unnoticed by most. So it's imperative that you listen to this podcast and get the hot topic information down here because governance is becoming a big issue, even with CFPB and even if you are a small independent mortgage banker. You don't want to miss that part of the, the broadcast today. This broadcast was created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals and we're the proud recipient of the progress in the Progress in the Lending Innovation Award. Good to have each of you with us, and we want to say a special thank you to our sponsors. United Guarantee, for more than 50 years, has offered credit unions, and we have a number of credit unions, uh, employees, and, and staff that listen to this podcast. They've specialized in supporting credit unions with mortgage insurance products that help their members realize home ownership goals. If you go to the UG dot, uh, UGCorp.com forward slash credit dash unions, you will find tools to help compare the options. You'll learn how to get a quote and get access to exclusive credit union resources. Getting credit unions, for those of you who are not familiar with, are a bit of a different uh, animal out there. They're a nonprofit entity, quite an interesting organization, and uh, do a great job in the mortgage lending space. And I think we're going to see more of them in the marketplace. United Guarantees Credit Union Channel is headed up by Shannon Van Sickler, and she has got over 23 years of retail and wholesale lending experience with a very special focus on credit unions. For more information, check it out, ugcorp.com forward slash credit dash unions, or go to the UG or contact your local UG residential insurance um, representative, your sales representative there. It's in mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Also, a special thank you to Velma. Brent Emler and the team there at Velma do a great job. Velma stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They do a great job uh, helping us get the word out about the podcast that we have each week and also really talk about, you know, the message, what we're getting out. I mean, they are so good. You can do the Set It or Forget It campaign, or you can do the what we do is on the fly, just create things as you go. And um, I think they probably would appreciate a little more time than what I give them, but they, they get the word out nonetheless. Do a great job. I recommend you partner with them. Also, our newest sponsor, Motivity Solutions, a leading 
business intelligent technology for the mortgage industry, providing real-time reporting, as well as dashboards and scoreboards. Motivity Solutions is the mortgage business intelligence that delivers real-time. You know what real-time means? That means as it is happening. (laughs) Powerful analytics enabling mortgage lenders to proactively monitor and manage their operations across the enterprise. Can you imagine sitting at a football game? Now, you wouldn't want to do this in the rain, but sitting there with your iPad watching that and you're and want to check in on what's going on back at the shop, look at different things with Motivity Solutions. If you had that tool, you could sit anywhere, golf course, golf cart, um, you know, a football game, on the beach, wherever, and you could get real-time information on what's going on as long as you have a cellular connection. Fascinating topic. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Alice, Joe, and Andy for always making this pro- this program, this podcast, so successful. It's the number one listened-to podcast in our industry Very exciting to have them be a part of it each and every week. Quick update on the MBA conferences. This week, we have the Independent Mortgage Banking Conference in Nashville. I'm flying out today for that, and I'll see many of you there. Many of you have called me and said, looking forward to connecting with you. Also hoping to connect with and record a number of interviews with some of the leaders within our industry at that event. So if you're there, love to get on the podcast, get recorded, get your interview on there. Search me out. My cell phone is 512-632-2900. Also, we have coming up January 21st of the new year, 2016, the MBA's Mergers and Acquisition Workshop at the Hilton Phoenix Airport. Also, January 28th, 2016, the Whole Loan Trading Workshop, which is going to be at the Embassy Suites in downtown Fort Worth. If you haven't been downtown Fort Worth lately, you have to get down there. That, that town is no longer a cow town. It is really quite... Quite the, quite the city, so it's a great place to have it. I've been at that hotel. Both these workshops are workshops. They're one-day workshops, and you'll benefit. If you want to learn more, go to www.mba.org forward slash conferences and education, and you'll find all the information there. Joe Farr, good to have you with us. Uh, it looks like it's starting Hi, to be a little bit of a quiet day here, but, man, this could be a big Well, week. it well, is. We just... And we've just seen a little bit of a, an improvement in price, but uh, we've been pretty much running between flat to where we ended the day on uh, Friday to up two, but just recently we've gone to up three, and uh, uh, so yeah, we're heading in the right direction anyway. Heading in the right direction, yeah. So let's, uh, what's, what's on the docket today? Anything? Uh, yeah. Anything to well, that, yeah, we had a couple things. Uh, we saw uh, Chicago PMI come in, uh, it fell a little short of expected, and and showed uh, came in at a at a below fifty mark, showing a contraction in in activity. Uh, pending home sales rose a little, but not as much as expected. But Dave, neither neither of those had any influence on mortgage rates this morning. Mortgage rates, yeah, yeah, and, and um, you know there there was a lot of economic data last week, David, to to consider. Uh, but really, none of it either caused mortgage rates to move. Um, mortgage rates price it last week rose by only a few thirty seconds, so uh, almost negligible effect on mortgage rates. The data that we saw last week included things like the the existing home sales, which fell a little in October. Uh, new home sales rose some. Uh, the second estimate of third quarter GDP rose to 2.1%, and that was pretty much as expected, and that's up from 1.5% from the first estimate. Mm-hmm. Durable orders rose a bunch, but most of that was due to uh, aircraft orders, which is highly volatile and, and kind of yeah. uh, was misleading when you when you look at the, the size of the increase. Uh, jobless claims fell. 
which was nice to see. Consumer confidence and consumer consumer sentiment both fell a little from last month, which is a little surprising. But uh, I think things were going on with stocks at the time that survey was taken, and 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 rates were rising and had risen a little bit. So maybe that was part of that. Core PCE came in flat for the month and at only a 1.3 percent uh, inflation rate for the year. Uh, which is uh, um, you know a pretty low rate, uh, obviously, when the Fed's considering a two percent rate their target rate. So we'll see how that plays in on uh, what the Fed does. Yeah. Uh, and just like today, none of this had any real effect on on the market. You know, most of it, I think, is the investors are waiting to see what happens this week because there's a whole bunch of stuff this week, especially starting with or not starting but finishing with the uh, jobs report that comes out on Friday. Uh, the jobs report, the consensus calls for 200,000 net new jobs uh, with no change in the unemployment rate. But you'll remember last month we had 190,000 net new job consensus and it came right. in at 271. So you know, another number like that could really seal the deal as it relates to a Fed funds rate hike. Right. Um, before the jobs report comes out, we'll see uh, tomorrow. We'll see November ISM, which is a big number. Uh, ADP on Wednesday and uh, ISM services on Thursday. Uh, maybe more importantly, we have several Fed speakers this week, including Janet Yellen on Wednesday at twelve twenty-five. She uh, she'll be That's making a speech about economic outlook, and then again on Thursday at ten. That one's before Senate Economic uh, Committee. And then uh, uh, important is going to be uh, the ECB. They're they're going to make an announcement uh, or they're meeting on Thursday, and sometime Thursday it'll be morning our time. They're going to say what the committee has considered or discussed, and there's been a lot of advanced um, uh, guidance to say that they are close to con- implementing additional stimulus. That could either be in the form of additional bond-buying program. They've currently got a 60 billion euro a month bond-buying program going on through September 2016. Uh, that could be expanded. Um, and then they also have currently have negative interest rates on bank uh, access uh, or overnight deposits. And uh the negative rate could be increased, meaning more negative, which would encourage additional uh, lending. And you know, any either of those, you know, it could be both too, Dave. And and either of those will be good for mortgage rates if more comes than what was expected. Could be worse for mortgage rates if if less comes than what was expected, especially as it relates to a bond buying program. You know, that's much like our quantitative easing, where both stocks and bonds improved on the Fed's bond buying program. Uh, if there is a significant increase in the ECB's bond buying program, we're likely going to see an improvement in, in mortgage rates. And yeah, then so uh, have a direct impact. Uh, yeah. yeah, also on Friday, maybe not as less directly affecting things uh, as it relates to mortgage rates, but the OPEC is going to be meeting and uh, uh, there has been activity, will be a lot of activity in the, ahead of that meeting as the announcement there could impact, you know, supply of oil and therefore the price uh, of oil. And um, uh, we'll see how all that plays out. You know, any any impact of uh, any increase in production is going to have a big impact on things like inflation um, 
and, and so it'll obviously be an important announcement. So people ought to pay attention to that. And that's about it. Well, that is uh, very interesting. I'm listening to a, um, you know, me and podcasts, I love listening to them, especially over weekends. I'm listening to uh, a new one by NPR. It's an Intelligent to Debates. And it's a debate about the one I'm listening to right now, Can Central Banks Print Prosperity? So they have two really top executives, I mean, uh, economists and world-renowned, celebrated-type people arguing that, yes, the central bank can print prosperity, and two that are against it. And this particular one, it's the latest one that they just did. It's from November 25th. I encourage people to go listen to it. It's Intelligence Squared U.S. Debate. You can Google it, or if you have an iPhone like I do, I use the podcast. I searched it out, and it's a fascinating discussion. What's most interesting, Joe, when you look at this discussion, is that the guy that was responsible, I don't. I need to commit his name to memory, but the guy that, that literally was hired by the feds to dispense the first quantitative easing round of money, he put it in there. He's so fr- frustrated with the results of it and came out against it, and he is now saying mm-hmm. that also Bernanke says, you know, we probably should have done a one and done, but but we as a world, be, and that's why we're so interested in what ECB will be doing, is we as a world seem to be living on this perpetual quantitative easing program, and we're just going to print money until, God knows what happens. So very interesting debate but for those of you. cannot go. I mean, that debate needs yeah. to be considered on either long-term or short-term. You know, I think that we well, saw see, exactly. was helpful. Yeah, and. Know? That's what they're really saying is, have we entered a new era where quantitative easing is, in fact, the standard? We're just never going to get off of it. And what are the consequences of it? It's a fascinating debate, and I encourage people to listen to it. But want fascinating information, what's going on in real time, and it's factual. It's uh, what you can get at MBS Quote Line, folks. It is the real stuff, real time, excellent. And I'm looking at, we got a nice little rally going here right at the moment. So i uh, watching that break up to the upside. and. On your chart here on the Fannie Mae 30 year, yeah. three and a half. So we'll see what happens here. But we've got Paul Mollo on the line. He'll be joining us right after the break. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. You can hear him breathing in the background. We've got joining us again from Chile. Uh, well, I don't know what the weather's like out there, but I was watching the Denver Patriots game, and there for a while I was forgot it was played out there in Denver because I saw snow falling. I'm going, I thought about you, but it was out there in Denver, not there, but Everything going well with you? You have a good Thanksgiving, Paul? I did, and, and Denver, let's back up here. <laughs> Denver was playing New England. I'm in Washington, D.C. Unless you're talking oh, about those right lousy, here, New York yeah. Giants. And lousy New York <laughs> Giants played the uh, the Redskins. In, uh, I'm a Giants fan, by the way. I uh, played the Redskins yesterday in D.C., and the Giants, as usual, they can't protect against the pass, but uh, that's not why your 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 listeners have dialed into this program to hear, well, <laughs> hear me well, we talk always get about a lot of football, feedback, and if they did, 
career. Well, we do get. It's interesting because we have a lot of people that that uh, when we chatter about that, just kind of identify as yeah, I'm a Seahawks fan. So we'll bring out everyone. That'll bring out commentary from everyone. But I'm also a big fan of your website. Again, we have with us Paul Mallow of IMFNews.com. Check out their website if you're not. A part of this blog and getting an email to you daily, you should. You can just go to the website, www.imfnews.com. Looking at the first headline, FHA loan production soars. Quicken dominates again. Very interesting. George Brooks wrote a good article on that. I read through that. That was, that was really interesting. But let's run through these. Yeah, uh, listen, I mean, FHA is one of you know the biggest stories of the year, and, and most people will point to that uh, premium cut earlier in the year which is really spurred volume. Um, you know, the seven, 74.6%, uh, I'm sorry, 74.6 billion is a 95% gain uh, from the same period a year ago. The nine month is, is not as good, but pretty good, 81% higher, nine month compared to nine month. And again, everyone's talking about the premium cut back, and I, I think it was February. Uh, that has, you know, helped, and of course, rates rates move lower, and now they're starting to move up back up a little. Um, you know, the big thing is 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 the rankings, and I should note that the rankings uh, in that story come from one of our newsletters inside FHA Lending, mm-hmm. and uh, I should point out that this is direct lending. This doesn't include correspondent production, but you know, looking at the numbers, they're phenomenal. Uh, you know, there's only two banks in the top ten in, in direct FHA lending. And there's only three in the top 20. Otherwise, it's all non-banks. And banks are just, you know, they're scared to to do this kind of business in any great volume. Uh, They they will do correspondent because J.P. Morgan's still pretty big in correspondent FHA. But they like correspondent because they basically know they they can hold the lender, uh, the correspondent responsible, or the FHA will. So that's that's their safe way of doing FHA, not doing it directly, but let others do it directly and then buy it from them. Uh, but still, it's interesting, and, and no wonder why Ted Toes is all nervous about all the non-banks getting so big, because they're his biggest customers now, just about. I mean, yep. you know, Quicken is huge. So uh, that was our number one story. Uh, we talked to Bill Dallas last week. I know, I think he was on your show recently. He was. Uh, we talked a little bit about consumer lending, and Bill thinks uh, we're going to see more mortgage bankers jump into non-secured consumer loans, and that's obviously something Loan Depot pitched pretty big. Uh, and advertised and got into and was pitching on their IPO, which they've del- since delayed, which which I think we may have talked about on the last show or two. So, um, you know, be interesting. On that, on that note, is that analogous to junk bonds? I mean, buying junk bonds to get yield? I mean, these, these things yield really strong. But I look at these. Did did you get into any aspect of that? I'm sorry, I haven't had a chance well, yeah, to read we, that we one. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, and, and as Bill notes, you know, these are, it looks like what he's talking about here. Is, is mortgage bankers who uh, are going after their own con- own customer and are making right. ten to thirty five thousand dollar loans. Now these are not seconds; these are not HELOCs. They're unsecured, okay. the consumer loans. And I guess if you really know your customer and you're looking for that's yield, true. you know why not make it? And that's sort of Bill's point. And I asked him, well, is Skyline going to start making? It? He's like, well, we might. So I think he's looking at it hard. I think a lot of lenders are looking at hard, uh, yeah, and I absolutely. guess it all depends on FICO and if. You know, if they're currently servicing the borrower and they feel comfortable with the borrower's credit background, 
uh, I think you might see some guys start sticking their toes in the water. The question is, you know, what do they do with the paper? Do they sell it to someone like uh, Loan Depot? Uh, do they sell it to, I know some hedge funds have been looking at it. I know some REITs yes. have been looking at it. Um, you know, it's interesting. And uh, next year is expected to be, you know, a decent year, but probably off this year's pace. Um, and, you know, be well, well, time will tell how many lenders move into it. Uh, and we also might see lenders move into HELOCs more than non-banks, which is something they, they have not done since the crash. Most of them have gotten out of it. I know Loan Depot and so I think Quicken may be in the, the HELOC business. But um, that's a trend, so we'll we'll keep our eye on yeah. that. Uh, HUD, uh, the OIG issued a report regarding um, inflated appraisals and HECMs that came out this morning from the IG's office. Uh, there's some concern there that the appraisals uh, have been inflated on a certain you know, amount of Heckam loans. George Brooks wrote that one. Uh, something that came out before uh, Thanksgiving, MBS investors are continuing to call on the Fed to set minimum standards for non-agency MBS. That's a, a market that has slowly improved over uh, the last couple of years, but it's still not where uh, a lot of people would be. And investors want security, uh, and there's still calls to um, – Help the non-agency market, but the Fed has got to come out here and put out some kind of minimum standards, and that comes from uh, the Association of Mortgage Investors. Uh, Black Knight has come out with its latest um, study on home prices. They're up uh, 0.1%, not much from September, uh, but they're up 5.5% from a year ago. There's all sorts of talk, and, and you've People have seen it in the trades and the non-trades, the dailies, and you know, are our home price markets uh, overvalued in certain areas like San Francisco, New York? Take your pick. I mean, there's yeah. I mean, and yeah. did you mention Austin? Yeah, yeah. There, there, oh, is there a concern in Austin too? No. Well, there's there's <clears throat> there's several. I was on Fox doing uh, or debating someone from Florida, a, a real estate expert, and she thinks. We are sitting in Austin, the epicenter of her words were we're sitting in the epicenter of a uh, bubble, and so she thinks how and I go I, you know what you look at supply, I just really struggle with that concept because when you look at supply and uh, does supply and demand dynamic get trumped by uh something else uh well, we'll see yeah well, but at this point there's still strong demand, there's not enough supply, and so i I right. think we're going to see continued home price appreciation for a while. <laughs> That's a non non economist perspective, like a yeah, well, quarterback. So, you know, you can't beat supply and demand as one barometer, that's for sure. Uh, but you know, sometimes yeah. the demand can dry up quickly when when the numbers start looking ugly <laughs> for employment and, and rates. But you know, look at right. right now rates are great and, and unemployment is very low. So we'll we'll know more on Friday, but no one expects unemployment to change dramatically at all. Uh, we also had short uh takes um there wasn't a whole lot that was like amazing. We did some more takeouts on the FHA numbers, talking about the banks and the non-banks among, among the top ten and twenty. And I quoted Joe uh, Joe Garrett. He writes an interesting newsletter for yep. his clients, and he uh, raised one issue about compliance attorneys. You know, at what point does a lender step up and hire a full-time compliance attorney? And he quoted a, a mortgage. Uh, General Counsel Mike Huber of Academy Mortgage saying, you know, a billion dollars. If you're doing a billion dollars a year, that maybe it's time for you to get a, a, a compliance attorney. And Mike also mentioned, well, maybe it's really five hundred million dollars. And let me tell you, there's a lot of lenders out there doing five hundred million dollars a year. Yeah. Uh, and so it looks like if you're in the, uh, an attorney with a, a degree in compliance, <laughs> you're going to have your pick of jobs across the nation. Uh, <laughs> or, so. 
Or or if you're in compliance and go get your degree and uh, go get a GED yeah. fast. I mean, it may be interesting. But no, that that's really an interesting perspective. You know, here's an angle on a story going back to Dallas. I love all the short takes you got here, and I encourage people to download this and look at that. I think there's so much you put into these short takes that's kind of like, you know, and it's usually a story that you can come back and report on or dive into deeper. But back we to the uh, what. Yeah, you usually do that. Uh, but the, yeah. also the Skyline story with Bill Dallas. You know what's interesting? Here's an angle. You should see the number of ex-mortgage bankers, ex-subprime guys that are now doing subprime auto lending and making a blinking fortune, Paul. Hmm. So fair, and I've, I've, my old partner, uh, with that guy that founded the company, just walked away with gobs of money when we sold the company. Uh, he's hmm. in subprime auto. I asked him if he'd be willing to talk to you. And he, you know, I don't want to talk to the press, Dave. And, and you got a radio program. I'm not sure I want to talk to you anymore. Um, yeah. They just don't want That's to talk fair. about it. But yields that are just obscene. And so, subprime auto. If you're, ch- you're chasing yield, go to the personal program or do the subprime auto. Look at it. A lot of mortgage rich, a lot of subprime guys that used to be in the space. That's where they're operating right now and doing very well and trying to stay as quiet and under the CFPB radar as much of as course. possible. But of course. Great job. I think you do an outstanding job. It's good to have you back on the broadcast. Thank Glad you. to hear you had a great Thanksgiving. Stay warm. Stay warm. Sorry about the Giants, but you know what? <laughs> Isn't that what they say? When they say when it comes to football, there's always another year. It's always next year. So Yeah. That's, that's Yogi Berra. No, no, no. It was the Brooklyn Dodger fans in the 50s. We'll get them next year. That's we'll get them next say. year. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. Thank good you, Dave. Good to have All you right, with bye-bye. us, my friend. Appreciate it so much. Normally we would be jumping over to Alice at this point, but Alice guy sent me an email. Uh, I didn't get it until just before the broadcast started that her boss pulled her into a meeting that she has to participate in, and so uh, she sent me an email, deeply apologizing and uh, saying to say hi to all our listeners. There's she said, in reality, there isn't much news on the legislative agency update front. Um, you know, other than the potential for new loan limits, and there's some other information that she'll be talking about next week. She will be back next week. So uh, she really wanted to participate in the discussion on governance today, but unfortunately she will not be here. But uh, if you want to get a hold of Alice, listen to this ad. We'll be right back with Sam Garcia right after this ad break. See you in just a minute. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Good to have you with us, everybody. Yeah, check out uh, what Alice can do there at Indicom with Mortgage U. Very important. She's very, very busy these days. It's amazing. Anyway, Sam Garcia is with us. Good to have you with us, Sam, up there in uh, chilly Dallas. And I didn't look at some of the weather. Uh, the, we've had a cold front move down into this area. It's, it's, I'm kind of missing those summer days already. Uh, Sam, good to have you with us. And I've got your website up here. Growing non-bank mortgage sector rises raises concerns. Tell us about that, Art. That's an interesting article. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a wire service news story that we published. Um, basically, it's just pointing to how much more of the uh, business that's coming from originations on, let's say, FHA and, of course, non-QM uh, from non-banks 
uh, non-banks for many reasons, of course, are not quite as interested as they were in FHA business uh, previously. And so, you, they, you know, it cited companies like Penny Mac, Amerihome, and Stearns, all which are based in Southern California and all which have uh, former executives uh, of countrywide home loans working for them. But, uh, you know, then they go a little bit deeper into the story and they talk more about uh, the specific delinquency ratios. And you can see quite a variance in some of those companies I mentioned don't necessarily have uh, high delinquencies on FHA loans, while others have, you know, quite a bit higher uh, rates. But, uh, yeah, that was an interesting story. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, well, yeah, some of the other a stuff. lot of good stuff here. For focus on some of the highlights you have, you want to share with our audience here. You've got a lot of information. We sure can't cover it all, but why don't you run through what you got? Yeah, yeah. Actually, last week had a lot of interesting stuff happen. Um, uh, first, we're going to talk about the mortgage market index, uh, which, of course, that's based on average per-user rate locks by clients of open close. That was down 19% last week, but you know, considering that we don't make any seasonal adjustments, um, and last week included both Thanksgiving and the day after Thanksgiving, which tends to be very slow, um, wasn't so bad. Uh, our business, however, was down nearly 40%, and jumbo activity sank by uh, more than a third. So uh, that's kind of what's the highlight there. Freddie put out a new uh, outlook for November on you know mortgage origination forecast. Um, it raised its outlook for this year to 1.75 trillion in originations from last month's uh, expectations of uh, 1.53 trillion. That's a pretty big jump. And then next year, Freddie expects 1.58 trillion in originations, and that was up from last month when it only expected 1.4 trillion. So combined, the two years, that's a lot more optimistic than the company was uh, you know a month earlier. Um, one of the big stories last week was uh, that Quicken announced the launch of its rocket mortgage. Um, basically, borrowers can complete a simplified loan application online or on a wireless device. And Quicken says that hard approvals uh, can be made in eight minutes with this new product. So it seemed to cause a lot of in, uh, excitement and interest uh, out there as far as who was reading what stories. FHA, there's no quite, there's no question they're good marketers. Rocket Mortgage. Well, I mean, uh, you know, across the board, they've got low delinquency on FHA. They are always ranked highest on JD Power's origination survey and on its servicing survey. And of course, they've grown quite a bit uh, as far as originations go. So they're among the biggest out there. Uh, pretty impressive yeah. company. Um, FHFA reported that GSC refinances in September were down 7% from a month earlier. But HARP refinances during that same period jumped 21%. It's kind of interesting because HARP had been pretty much you know, on the decline for quite a while. So it was interesting to see one month where it actually turned higher. Uh, Google went live last uh, last week. They announced with uh, their Google Compare service for mortgages. Uh, initially, that's available in just California. And uh, what was probably most significant is that they're, they're partnering with LendingTree and Zillow on that product. Um, Last week, President Obama signed into law the Equity and Government Compensation Act of 2015. Uh, that legislation reduces the maximum com compensation for Fannie and Freddie CEOs to 600000 from the $4 million that was recently approved by FHFA. <laughs> yeah, so, Frank uh, Reigns is going to go back to work for him for a while. <laughs> he, that's he right. And, you know, these yeah. companies, of course, they manage and are responsible for over $5 trillion in mortgages combined. So. Uh, it's interesting that they could get CEOs for that price. Um, the conforming limits uh, were released last week by FHFA, um, and basically the conforming limit is going to remain at 417000 But 
there were 39 counties that now qualify for high cost limits that go as high as 625,000. Um, a couple of GSC or a couple of uh, MSR offerings last week were announced by Interactive Mortgage Advisors. Uh, one of them was for uh, MSRs on 840 million in Fannie Mae loans, and that has a concentration in Minnesota. And then another one was for uh, about a uh, billion dollars in loans uh, that are both uh, GSC and Ginnie Mae. That, that's that's a flow deal, so that that amount is based on a 12-month uh, flows okay. flow uh, transactions. Um, uh, we've got some reverse market insight put out some data on uh, on wholesale HECM originations, which Heck basically FHA, FHA uh, endorsed 12% fewer uh, wholesale originated home equity conversion mortgages in September than it did in August. And then on really? the uh, uh, that was on the retail side, 12% down. And then on the wholesale side, it, it dropped 26%. It's a big drop. Wow. Finally, uh, there was an interesting story we ran across from the wire service also. A former police officer in Pittsburgh admitted to participating in a mortgage fraud scheme. Um, He was involved with loans that were originated by a mortgage broker known as Century 3 Home Equity. Um, And this particular cop was actually honored for his aggressive approach in curtailing violent crime. So kind of a contrast there. And (laughs) those are our headlines. And switch from uh, doing violent crime and found it pays a lot, you know, to busting violent crime to getting involved in white collar crime. Interesting, fascinating. Well, you know, I think I think I've got a suggestion. We may have to suggest that Andy Shell take a cut and pay to go work for as the CEO of uh, Fannie or Freddie because he could do that. <laughs> That'd be a good one. <laughs> it's good yeah, to have right, you right. with us. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate it, Sam. People, check out everyone, listeners, check out what Sam publishes. On his website, MortgageDaily.com. We can get a hold of Sam at Sam Garcia at MortgageDaily.com or call him at 214-521-1300. Sam, have a great rest of the week. Stay warm. I'm heading up to Nashville. You too, sir. And I'll, t- I'll look forward to taking your report from up there. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Talk to you. You Bye. bet. You bet. All right. Well, normally we were going to go to the profit doctor, but I'm looking at the clock, and I want to allow as much time, and seeing as the profit doctor is the hot topic, we're going to go right out to an ad break and then come in with the Profit Doctor talking to you about governance. Very important topic. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. We are talking on the hot topic of governance. You say, governance? Isn't that for banks? Isn't that for big companies? Isn't that publicly traded stuff? Well, it may have been, but it's back and it's strong. And back with us this day, again, is 
a very good friend of mine and someone I'm proud to have partnered with for the last eight years, and Andy Shell. Andy, good to have you back on the broadcast. Hi, Dave. Always a pleasure to be here. Always fun to have a chat. Yeah, always fun. You know, man, we talk so much stuff. I, 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 there's so many things I love talking to Andy about. You know, he gets me thinking. He reads really complicated books and topics like that. I find complicated podcasts and prefer going that way. But I can't wait for you to listen to this podcast, Andy, on uh, uh, intelligence uh, debate U.S. and for um, uh, that that would be just intelligence squared or intelligence too for debate. Anyway, it's a really good topic, and we will talk about that over a good dinner sometime. Um, we, last Absolutely. week when you were on. Before those of you that don't know, Andy Shell is the Profit Doctor, also is a partner in the MBS uh, Mortgage Banking Solutions, uh, a consulting firm and good friend and someone I've been involved in business with for the last couple of years, or the last eight years, um, and, and is really just a fountain of knowledge and, and wisdom about what's going on in the marketplace. He recently attended the IMB, or the, excuse me, the accounting, the MBA's accounting. I've got IMB because I'm going there here this this afternoon, flying up there this afternoon. But he was at uh, a couple weeks ago at the MBA's accounting and finance um, seminar, and the topic of governance came up when you were doing a review, and uh, we got quite a bit of response to that. I'd love to get into that topic. Uh, Joe, by the way, I just shot over, with Alice not being here, I just shot over an update on the questions we're going to be talking about, and if you could take a look at that email so we get into, as we get into this. But... I got Andy, it. Uh, you did good. Thank you. Um, one of the things, Andy, I want to start off for the purpose of this discussion is, you know, what is corporate governance? I mean, give an overview and uh, of what what this is about. Well, sure, Dave. Well, well for starters, we Sam was just talking about Quicken, and and uh, Paul was mentioning Quicken and Loan Depot, and and you know, one of the things that Quicken Loan Depot all of these companies of that magnitude have in common is they have a well-structured system of corporate governance. They have a compliance management system. They have embraced corporate governance and implemented it uh, seamlessly, uh, partly because, especially when you're in the public arena, there's no, there's no choice. You, you have to do you this. You have to. But, yeah, the foundation of it is if you just try to break it into its component pieces governance is 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 very simple i mean it's, it's just like being a parent it's it's establishing guidelines that determine how a company is run i mean that that is at its core what governance is governance is building the oversight and it's actually formally establishing the guidelines so establishing these guidelines that that determine how a company is run or how a person behaves or how you drive a car. I mean, it's that's what it is. It, it's, it's putting in, in print and distributing widely the structure of how you run your business. That's ultimately what it is yeah. and how it's about and what it is, how it works. When we and I were starting, just before the broadcast, uh, you and I were on the line and talking about this, and it, it seems to fly in the face of everything entrepreneur. You said it so well. You know, you know, entrepreneurs love running free. They don't want they don't want governance. By nature, that sounds like a bad word for them. But I want you to reframe governance for an entrepreneur and why they should consider it. And why it may be essential for their survival uh, to, well, to consider it, and, and what are the good attributes of that 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 an entrepreneur should embrace? Well, a couple of quick points. If if we think back 100 
years, over 100 years, 150 years, and we look at some of the titans of industry. We look at people like John D. Rockefeller as he was starting Standard Oil. And, you know, interestingly, John D. Rockefeller started out as an accountant. You know, he was a, he was a bookkeeper before he, that well, early in his career. You look at J.P. Morgan. You look at these amazing titans of industry that we still know of today, and they did what they wanted to do. And and under whose direction did they operate? Well, frankly, pretty much no one. There there was there was no limits on worker safety. There were no environmental concerns. There was uh, virtually no consumer protection remedies. Uh, they had they had few shareholders, and those that they did had no rights because there was no minority interest protection and so that was the wild west of business that that was a world that existed 150 years ago and like today the ceo of jp morgan you know, jamie diamond or the ceo of exxon mobil to whom are they accountable how where do they get their direction for compliance and results of the business and everybody knows the answer is they have a board of directors we don't even think twice about the fact that there's a board of directors that are guiding the efforts of these huge companies. And by having a collaborative effort, governance provides collaboration, it provides oversight, it provides a sounding board, it's a way for the CEO of a company to have a group to, to whom they get their, their approval and their direction. And, you know, J.B. Diamond takes a proposal to the board for approval if they wanted to merge or launch a new business line or change a product offering. They go to the board with the business justification for the change they want to make, present it to their board, who is very broad-based business people, in order to obtain an approval. And I think that's a great idea. I mean, that's one of the things about uh, well, Dave, when you and I got together, one of the yeah. one of the founding principles was being able to have this collaboration, this bouncing of ideas, this insight into the next steps in a business because we had a council of three when we started. And then, you know, that that can be bigger. It can be a council of six. It can be a council of eight. Um, it, it's sort of like some of the work you're doing helping CEOs with some of their planning as you, you become part of their advisory board. And yeah. what, corporate yes. governance, what corporate governance does is it puts this framework of collaboration for the CEO in a formal structure, it. you know, where the where the CEO goes to the board for support, ideas, approval um, for the operation of the company. I mean, let's talk about the CFPB for a minute, and uh, what does the CFP require for governance? And has it is this is something new? Has it been a part of lending before? And then I'm going to toss the mic to Joe. Go ahead. Okay. Well, that's, let me hit both of those two questions. So first off. Uh, governance, as it relates to lending, has really always been there. A commercial bank lending has always yes. been under a structure of governance. Even if if you, it's, we're coming up on Christmas, so if you ever watch the movie It's a Wonderful Life, and we have the Bailey Brothers Building and Loan, where George Bailey worked, well, there was a board of directors with, you know, Mr. Pot was on the board of directors, and so <laughs> they right. have that structure because there was deposit insurance. In order to have deposit insurance, they wanted a corporate governance. They wanted to have not just one person making every decision, but they wanted that one person who's the CEO to come to a board of 
individuals who are broad-based experience business people, this group that the CEO has agreed to be submissive to, they've they've agreed to go to this board for their approvals, and that adds to the stability of the company. They do it this way because it works, and it's always been part of lending. 2002, we had Sarbanes-Oxley that expanded corporate governance and in public companies pretty dramatically. Now we've got Dodd-Frank and the CFPB expanding corporate governance to all independent mortgage bankers. And so what the CFPB basically says, and this isn't an option, this is a CFPB mandate. They say that, to quote their publication, it says the owner or the board of the company must, and they list, I guess, six different things that you have to do, and you, you have to establish the company's compliance responsibilities. And that means you have to have a structure, you have to have policies, and you have to have a formal way of distributing these. And you have to communicate these responsibilities to the employees. So you have to have a training process. And you have to document that you have a training process. And these policies have to ensure legal requirements are included in all business processes. So that's a very specific thing that your corporate governance has to implement. And then you have to review the operations to ensure responsible and legal requirements are met in every division throughout the company. And then lastly, and again, this is I'm reading this straight from the CFPB. The, okay. the corporate Good. governance system has to take create, create, uh, corrective action. You have to update your systems, update your tools, update the materials as necessary to make sure that all of these obligations are fulfilled. And so when we look at how commercial banks operate and we look at how the CFPB is regulating both commercial banks and independent mortgage banks, and we can kind of get an open book test by looking at the Federal Financial Institution Examination Council, the FFIEC, if you have a board in an independent mortgage company that becomes your governance body, of, of which the CEO is a part and the CFO is a part, and, and but but it, it all works together to implement these requirements, and then you actually do implement these policies to comply with these requirements and then monitor that you're actually doing it, you've done it. That's it. That's what you have to do. That is, you know, it, the, there, I'm looking for the bright side in this thing, that there is actually an opportunity for lenders in this, and it, it should not be viewed necessarily as a negative. Yes, there can, it's going to feel like it can have some new constraints to it, but those kind of constraints would actually be great. Joe, I'll pass the mic to you. Well, I was looking at it as uh, I'm I'm an independent, I'm an owner of an independent mortgage banker, and uh, all this stuff sounds very inefficient and and costly. So, uh, Andy, what's your advice to that guy uh, and how he should address this the the requirement? Well, that's a great question because yeah, it is. There's no question that when you have to go ask a, a committee to approve something significant for your company, it is going to be less efficient than if you just did it yourself. But what's been proven over time in business throughout history is that collaborative efforts result in better decisions because collaborative efforts require the presenter to think through the process. Why are you doing this? If, if an independent entrepreneur CEO of a mortgage company just decides to do something, they may do it one way one week and another way the next week and another way the next week, and that becomes incredibly disruptive 
to the team and to the employees and ultimately may not even achieve the ultimate objective. If that path has to be well-defined and has to be presented to a group of individuals who ask questions and help refine the direction, then, yeah, it takes longer. It's less efficient in terms of achieving achieving an approval for a direction quickly, but it's long-term more efficient because you end up consistently with better decisions. And so it's been the world I've lived in my entire career is, is having a board. And so the way that this works for an independent mortgage bank to implement these requirements is you, you know, you, you cr- the easiest thing to do is to um, create an advisory board, create a board. Now, if, if you're a stock company, you should already have a board. If you're an LLC, you can form an advisory board. And if you really don't want to have a board and you want to just do it yourself without a board, then you're still going to have to implement all the rest of those rules. But I'm going to predict that your DFPB oversight will be more difficult than if you actually have some sort of board to whom you've submitted your actions and from whom you receive direction and approval for the big decisions of the company, your company will actually run better. So what you have to do is you have to create this governance policy where you actually define the responsibilities of the governing body. And then that group then, monthly or quarterly, reviews the results, approves policies, reviews management progress, holds management accountable. Like, why wasn't this happen? How are you going to do it better the next time? You're going to be like a board. You're going to, you, you are the board. You're going to cover what happened, what should have happened, what's going to happen next. And then there's about eight essential areas that a board needs to know. And you know, that's getting a little bit out of scope for this podcast today. But you know, email me and I'll tell you more about that. But that's basically what it is, Joe. It, it's the setting mm. up of this formal guideline that determines how companies run by having a board who contributes to and approves the overall direction of the company and then monthly or quarterly monitors the activity of the business and management becomes accountable to them and management is held accountable for the results of the business. You know, the typical entrepreneur doesn't like accountability. They like freedom and they don't like accountability, and this flies in the face of both of those two things. But it's the reality of the future. And honestly, if you look at the model of business, look at the Harvard Business Review about successful companies, they all have a governance structure with a board of directors who helps to contribute to the overall direction of the company. So, Andy, you've you've talked about banks a lot, and... uh, uh, They've been doing this for a while. So, so how does any of that differ from what a bank does? Well, it's not going to really differ very much. The reason I like to refer to banks is that that's commercial banks, FDIC banks, is that's how we get our open book tests. I mean, it's already there for us. These commercial banks are are already doing it, and the examination requirements that are implemented to banks for the review of their governance structure or their compliance management system is outlined in great detail at the website for the Federal Financial Institution Examination Council, the FFIEC. So these banks establish these policies for regulatory compliance and they establish operating policy and they 
establish operating objectives and they approve the budget and they approve compensation standards and they they actually hire and select the CEO and they measure monthly results. That's how it works. They're doing it right now. If you follow the guidelines, if an independent mortgage banker follows the guidelines for governance that's applicable to the FDIC banks, there's going to be a very high likelihood that their their governance structure that they create is going to pass muster for the CFPB. So why do they call it a compliance management system? That seemed a little confusing to me. Yeah, I think they do that really to confuse people for sure. CPAs <laughs> refer to it as a CMS, a compliance management system. If If the audience of independent mortgage bankers were to look at their CPA audit and look at the management letter that comes along with the CPA audit, it's almost assured that there's going to be one point in there about establish a comprehensive compliance management system. And that's just like that's like saying our digestive system or our circulatory system or our solar system. It's just it's just segments and parts of other elements that result in a, in accomplishing an objective. So our circulatory system is made up of parts that achieves the objective of moving the blood in the oxygen enriched blood through our body. So but there's a lot of pieces that fit together to make our circulatory system work. The same thing applies to a compliance management system. It's not just compliance in terms of mortgage banking and that that's where we get mixed, mixed up here because we think compliance and system well compliance means the CD and the LE and all of the ECOA rules and systems mean, must mean a computer system, but it's not that at all. It's having the the overall structure within the organization where we have a formally established guidelines that determine how a company is run, and then having the oversight to implement that. That's what a compliance management system is because we're we're making certain the company is operating in compliance with the structure that's been approved by this governing body or individual that then is used for the management of the company. And and that comes typically in the form of a board of directors, board of advisors, when you're talking about governance. that That's what is the structure that's a part of the larger corporations. Give us a little insights into the functions of a board, whether it be a board of directors, board of advisors, or that type of structure. Absolutely, and it works best with a board of directors or an advisory board. Now, just to be clear, the CFP mandate did not specifically say you have to have a separate board. It says that the owner or the board must implement all of those requirements, but it's most typical that there is a board or an advisory board that supports this activity. And the, the functions that this board accomplishes are a lot of different things. I mean, it, it's everything from uh, bouncing off ideas and considering the next steps for the business, but th- there's, a, there's also a very formal process where delegation of authority comes from the board. The authority for the underwriter to approve a loan actually is is delegated often from a board of directors to the president and then from the president to the underwriter. It's where the empowerment for the management is derived. It comes from the board's authorization for management to act 
in whatever capacity that is. That would include the adoption of policies, the approval of even to acquire a new branch or to get into a new business line or you know, various options uh, to launch a new business plan. Well, like for example, I'll give you a quick a quick side note. Um, I know of a couple different companies that are embarking upon very significant changes in their their business structure, either acquiring companies, being acquired by a company, uh, restructuring significantly what they're doing. And in a couple of these cases, there's one or two individuals that control the company that are making all of the decisions. And they sometimes reach out for help, and sometimes they don't reach out for help. And sometimes when they do reach out for help, they reject the advice because they know they know what they know. And that is driven partly from ignorance and partly from ego. And part of the thing that makes entrepreneurs so successful is that 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 drive to accomplish, that confidence in your ideas, the the, the absolute assurance that you're going to be right. It's that same drive as what you want to have with a fighter pilot. You don't want to have a fighter pilot who's worried about if they're going to get shot. You want to have a fighter pilot who is absolutely confident in their dominance over the opponent. And that's it's in sports, it's in fighter pilots, and it's part of the entrepreneurial spirit that makes entrepreneurialism great. But it also, when it when it's applied to business, can be devastating because it creates an environment where people won't listen to advice. And that's part of the CSPB's point, is if you have a structure of governance, the very first step is the CEO agrees to go to this board for advice, to listen to what the board says. It doesn't necessarily mean 100% the CEO does what the board says. I mean, there are public companies where that's how it has to be. In in our world with independent mortgage banks, it's a matter of getting the input, getting a group of people who are informed about the business to give insight. And it also makes it so that the CEO has to wait a minute. They have to pause for a week or they have to pause for a few days or even a month maybe to, to get their ducks in a row to defend their decision to present the options to a group of people who will then ask questions. And any successful CEO will tell you that that interaction with the board is essential for the success of a business because it causes them to rethink and position their ideas in a way that is understandable to others and that almost always ferrets out better ideas and better outcomes. So, Andy, three real quick questions. Uh, An internal audit function, you hadn't mentioned that, but is that important? Absolutely. That's the key. I mean, for a really little company, people go, I can't have an internal audit function. Well, some of the functions of an internal audit uh, department can be done by other people. It, you know, the controller or the accountant can do a spot check of some of the internal audit function. But an, a true independent audit function is very important, and it's an important component of a compliance management system. Again, it's one of the parts. It's part of the. It's the heart of the veins or the blood. It's the. It's one of the important parts that makes a governance structure effective. All right, and then you just mentioned too small to comply, meaning probably too small to afford it, such that it might cause you to lose yeah. money. So what do you have to do in those cases? <laughs> so I'm, I'm too small to comply, and if I do comply, I'm going to lose money. 
Well, you know, th- th- that's uh, – what, what do you say to that? If you want to be in mortgage lending and be able to be part of a, an, an amazing and dynamic business, then you have to be subject to the CFPB oversight you know that there was a there was a time in the in the 50s when people were dying in car crashes often because they didn't have a seat belt and the interior of cars were metal so people hit their head and died and so there was a guy that came along named John Tucker in the 1950s who built the Tucker automobile and it had seat belts and it had a front center light that turned when you turned it was really cool and it was rejected the the big three automakers put him out of business basically but it wasn't until the 60s when there was a mandate by the government that all cars have seat belts. Now, today, we can't imagine not having a seat belt. That's just part of life. And it was a regulatory mandate to protect the riders in a car. So I'll talk about the long arm of the government telling you if you have to or if you can or can't wear a seat belt. I mean, that's pretty invasive, don't you think? A privacy right, if I want to wear a seat belt or not. Today in Texas, if you're driving around not wearing a seatbelt, you're going to get a ticket. And so this is the same thing. We, we have to comply with the regulatory oversight. It's not a choice. Everybody has to do it. So the fact that you're losing money trying to do it is irrelevant because everybody has to do it. So it just means you need to raise your margins just like everybody else in order to comply completely. Yeah, it's really, you know, you look at this, it's really interesting. Uh, what question, should a company have D&O insurance? Absolutely. If you're going to have a board, you need to have director and officer's liability insurance what, to provide some level of identification. What about a board of advisors? In a board of advisors, it's not a board of directors. There is a clear delineation yeah, there. And if you can no, just no, touch on that real quickly, I'm looking at the point. clock. We're almost, we are out of point. But, I mean, should a board of advisors, does a board of advisors need do you know insurance? Probably not. Probably not because they really have no formal authority. It's just the bounce ideas off of. And it's going to look yeah. good to the CFPB, but they don't have actually the formal authority. But there's many things where the, the companies are converting to stock companies. And if you yeah. are a stock company with a stock you board of directors, to. then absolutely, yeah. I am already getting emails. One person just texted to me said, what are the websites that we can go to? What's the best Google searches we can do to look this up? And then, of course, I'm going to give them your information in just a minute, Andy, and how to connect with you. But, you know, what's the best way for them if they want to do a Google search on this topic? Well, they can do corporate governance. They can go to uh, ffiec.gov and then just type in search and type governance. Okay, so that, and that they, works. That gives you, but to, and that works. But the CFPB, is there any specific, is there a specific website that CFPB has put out on governance? No. If you go to the CFPB website, just type in governance, and you'll have a bunch of stuff pop up. Pop up. All right. None good. of it tells you but how the to best do way. it or how to implement it. Yeah. None of these sites. The best way. Well, the FFIEC tells you what the examiners are going to look at. So that's why that's right. good. But yes. otherwise, if you want more questions how to do it, then send me an email. Get a hold of Andy. Andy at mbs-team.com is the best way to reach him, and uh, I recommend that at all times. But anyway, Andy, so good to have you with us. Folks, we are flat out of time, but I want to say a big special thank you. Again, if you want to get a hold of Andy on this topic of governance, get more specific information, you is, you prefer an email. Is that correct, Andy? Yes, if I can respond to the emails quicker. I'm, I'm traveling a lot. So Andy yeah, at mbs-team.com. 
Andy at mbs-team.com. Folks, good to have you be with us. Appreciate you being here. I look forward to continuing our conversation. I'm flying up to the IMB conference. We'll bring you an update next week, hopefully some interviews from that conference. Uh, Also, we've got just so many things. We love hearing from you as to things that you would like us to cover on this podcast. So if you have some things, give us a call. Love to hear from you. Wish you all very blessed week and uh, safe be safe out there be thinking about governance it's an important new topic and it's going to be coming up a lot more especially if the cfpb comes through the door be good to have a plan on it look forward to being with you next week thanks everybody have a blessed week this has been licking on lending a weekly mortgage market update with your host David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Elvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 